0: It's Time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. Over the mountains, over the mountains, I hear the calling. It's time. it's time. It's Time. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International. Featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of First and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the Kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king, both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike.
1: Now in chapter 10, it says, "Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, "Is it not because the Lord has appointed you commander over his inheritance?" Now it is interesting that um, he, at the very first words that he has to him concerning this, is that you are in a, you are over God's inheritance. I, I think that's really important because, again, when we really study the rest of Scripture, we find that as Christians, we're all just simply stewards of what God's entrusted us with and how to do the very best we can with what God's given us. He says, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men at Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, at Zelzah, And they will say to you, the donkeys which you work to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is now worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go forward from there and come to the Tiberneth tree at Tabor. There three men will be going up to God at Bethel and will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give to you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen that when you've come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, a timb—a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And it will be and, and, and let it be when the signs come to you that you will do as occasion demands for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you and offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you will wait Till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, this is an interesting prophecy of God here. You look at the exactness of Samuel's prophetic utterance concerning Saul. It, it, it's, it, it's uncanny. I mean, down to how many goats you're gonna get and all. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, again, when he says that you're going to uh, two loaves of bread and you shall receive from their hands. I mean, to the exact letter of what you're going to receive from them. It is amazing to me that the spirit of God in prophecy is so accurate. Now, friends, we've talked about this before, but one third of the Bible is prophecy. Now, not all prophecy is always dealing with revelation in the rapture of the church. Sometimes prophecy is just foretelling an event that was to happen, as we see here, concerning the, you might say, the coronation of Saul. Now, Saul isn't actually um, uh, where he is going to assume the, the kingly role yet. Actually, there's going to be a battle that we'll find in the next chapter, chapter 11, before really all of Israel begins to recognize, this is what you want, this is what you're going to get. And so it's it's amazing to me that, and I believe the accuracy of this is very important. And the reason why is this. As we really examine the life of Saul, Saul was a man after man's heart. He was a man that had a close encounter with God, prophesied with the prophets and all, as it says. But the problem is, is that he wasn't really he didn't really finish well. And this is a, this is a problem that we find here. Now, the reason why I think the accuracy of this prophecy is so clear is because if somebody else was to examine this, they would say, well, Saul just became king by default and God didn't have anything to do with it because Saul was such a rascal towards the end of his life. That's not the case. God very much had a purpose for Saul. And that was, they wanted a king, They had rejected God being king uh, over them. And so a man they want, a man they get. And so it was that when he had turned, verse 9, as he turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart, and all the signs came to pass that day. And they came there to the hill where there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then the man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? It's interesting that he... um, Such an anointing of God fell upon him that he prophesied with the prophets. Now, uh, there's a difference here that a lot of times... I I think there's a lot of times people can have a close encounter of the real kind. I think sometimes people come to church. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they become convicted of their sins. And they feel God... They may even respond to God. We remember Jesus gave the parable of those that hear the kingdom, about the kingdom of heaven and how this, it's like seed and depending on where the seed fell in the story that Jesus gave, depending on what it did. Some lacked water and it was, it was received, but then it, because it lacked root, it dried up and it blew away. I, I think there's a lot of people that can receive things from God. But it's because of the nature of the heart is really depends on whether or not a person wants to sustain that relationship with God. And so we find here that there was certainly nothing lacking in the close encounter of the real kind. And by the way, friends, we've uh, we've had that. I think some of you have shared with me different encounters that you've had with God where God just does something really wonderful in your life. I've had that happen to me, too. Now, I I just kind of wish we could all just stay there, don't you? Wouldn't that be nice where we just kind of feel the Holy Ghost buzz, you know, and stuff and. Uh, you know, but you know what I found is a lot of times Christians want that, um, and it's it's. Um, uh, but we, we recognize that that doesn't always stay that way. In fact, many times in the Bible, you'll see where God did that. I think the reason God does that is to first of all show you that He is real, and to demonstrate to you and prove to you that yes, you can be changed. Now, many people have had a close encounter like that. Samuel did, as we read a few chapters back where God called him in the middle of the night, and he kept, running into, he kept running into Eli and said, Here I am. And he said, I didn't call you. you. Samuel, go back to bed. A little bit later on, he heard the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, runs to Eli. Eli, here, uh, here I am. And he says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. But the next time you say, Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. And it's interesting because as the voice came again to him, we remember that God began to reveal to Samuel what was to happen to Eli's A family. Well, we recognize that God has close encounters all the way through His Word. Now, just because somebody has a close encounter from God doesn't necessarily mean they're going to heed that, embrace that, cherish that moment. I mean, it's as uh, all the way through the Bible you see uh, where God did supernatural things for people and yet oftentimes those, those supernatural Uh, blessings, you might say, went unheeded. We remember that Jesus oftentimes would heal people. And, and we remember to some, they would believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And others, when they saw the miracles, they said, we gotta kill Jesus. They just hated him because they saw the fruit in his life. Uh, we remember uh, oftentimes in, in, in the Old Testament, you'll find different kings and rulers who had close encounter. Nebuchadnezzar was one who had a, a, a dynamic close encounter uh, with God, and yet rejected God's counsel. It's, it's, it's noteworthy that remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children that were carried away captive from Babylon, or from, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and we remember they wouldn't bow to the king's golden image. And he gave them several chances. And they said, he said, uh, you know, something about, well, can your God deliver you from the fiery furnace? And I like what the children of Israel said. They said, whether God delivers us or not, we're not going to bow to your idol. I like that. Well, it made him so mad. He heated the furnace up seven times hotter than it had ever been before. Now, I don't know how they did that, but they got it really hot. In fact, it was so hot that when they tried to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, the people that were throwing them in died because of the heat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though, didn't burn up. In fact, the Bible says they were walking around inside the furnace. Now, evidently, it had an open, open hearth, like probably where you go get those fine calzones and pizzas cooked. I don't know. But here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're walking around in there. And Nebuchadnezzar said something very unusual. He says, I thought we put three into that fiery furnace, but no, there's a fourth low like unto the Son of Man. That's interesting to me. First of all, how did he know what the Son of Man looked like? Maybe in one of those dreams that he had been having of close encounters of the real kind, God was revealing himself to him. And it's interesting that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, the smell of smoke was not even upon them. And so he said, oh, there's no God like you." And it wasn't long before Nebuchadnezzar was back chasing people who love God again. Well, again, so we, we see that God is a merciful God. We don't deserve to be touched, to be transformed, to be changed. And we, we find, here he says, you'll be changed into another man. Now, I believe that God, when he comes to us in his spirit, he says, do you, you want to be changed to another man? Okay, well, God, do, do I want to remain that way? And I believe this is the, the, the thing that we find as Saul, in his humility, in the first part of his, uh, you might say, up to the time that he was really coronated as king, he was a humble guy. But after he became king, it went to his head. And so let's read on here. And so it says, verse uh, 13, it says, And when they finished prophesying, they went up to the high place. And Saul's uncle uh, said to him, uh, to the servant, Where did you go? Uh, said to him, and he said, he said uh, to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what did Samuel say to you? So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly the donkeys had been found, but about the manner of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. So he deliberately did not tell him about uh, uh, being, uh, being called to be the next king. Then Samuel called the people together at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now, you know, whenever you see this in the Bible, you probably always like to kind of perk up your ears because when God directly speaks this way, it kind of gives you a little bit of insight. He says, I brought you up out of Israel, uh, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities. And out of all your tribulations and you have said to him, no, we will have a king over us now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen and when he had tr- caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family the, the family of Marty was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he was not found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, He is. He's hidden among the equipment. (laughs) Okay. Saul knew that he had that word from Samuel earlier, as we read in earlier chapter 9. He knew that. And when he knew that they had demanded a king... Now, kind of a couple of things here. Put yourself... Just think about this for a minute. Saul stands up. And, and uh, looking for the donkeys. He runs into Samuel. Samuel begins to tell him about the kingdom. And now God's going to make you uh, the watcher or the one over all of his inheritance. Um, he calls all of Israel together. Samuel makes this statement. And he says... You have rejected God, so okay, you're going to get a king. Boy, I'll tell you something. I don't think I would have want to been that guy either. <laughs> How would you like to be the replacement for a nation that rejected God? Samuel makes this declaration to the people, says, "Where did And they ask, "Where did he go? Well, Samuel uh, inquires of the Lord. The Lord says to him, Saul is hidden among the equipment." So here on his day that he is basically to be presented to the nation of Israel. You might say not sworn in yet, but at least presented to the nation. uh, It is noteworthy that he was hiding among the equipment. So it tells us a little bit that he was probably kind of a shy guy. Good looking, shy guy. Sounds like what everybody wants to meet. Well, we read on. So they ran and brought him from there. And he stood among the people... And he was taller than any of the people from shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there was no one like him among the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went to his home in Gibbeth, and the valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some of the rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Now it's interesting that uh, Saul did not go after him, but he held his peace. Um, Trouble comes, verse 11. Then Nahash, and this guy's name means serpent, the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jebeth Gilead. And all the men of Jabeth said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Uh, it's interesting here that the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, so they said, look, uh, we see you're going to attack us. You probably win. What do you want? They were trying to avoid a war. Now, this is fairly common. Uh, we remember it happened to Solomon's son. You have Saul, David, Solomon. Then you have uh, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was pretty much a fool with all of uh, his dad's and grandfather's great uh, wealth. And within five years, Shishak, uh, king of, of uh, Egypt, came up and encamped against uh, Jerusalem and said, um, Tell you what? We won't attack the city if you bring all the gold and pile it up out here and all the silver. You bring out all the stuff that's valuable and we won't attack you. And we remember because Rehoboam had basically had forsaken God too, uh, uh, didn't have anybody to trust in, uh, they did that. And they brought all the the gold and silver out of the temple and everything out there. So within five years after, after um Solomon, with all of his amassing wealth and gold and everything like that, his son within five years completely wasted away as a trade-off so they wouldn't be attacked. So the men of Jabeth gilead they went out and they said basically the same thing. Look, what do you want? We don't want to fight you. What do you want? Nahash the Ammoner answered them and said, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. Guy was driving, driving a pretty hard bargain. He says, okay, this is the deal. All the guys, you get your right eye put out. Now there's a couple reasons for that. First reason is, is that it completely wipes out your depth, depth perception. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but you start seeing the world like a television screen. It's, it, you, you don't, you have trouble, uh, which the reason for that, of course, is that uh, it makes you weak concerning fighting uh, being a fighting man, because you, you're unable to judge depth, and so therefore it, it, it affects that. Uh, the second thing it does, it does definitely impair somebody in battle uh, with your right eye uh, out, because usually most people are right-handed, and so they lead with their right side, and so that would also uh, cause the same problem. Well, he says that I may put out your right eyes and bring reproach upon all of Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to uh, to, to Gibeah uh, of Saul and told all the news and the hearings of the people. And the people lifted up their voices and wept. And when Saul was coming from behind the herd from the field, and and, and Saul said, What troubles the people and why are they weeping? And they told him all the words uh, of the men of of Jabbath. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news, and his anger was greatly aroused. And by the way, friends, something kind of interesting here. uh, Verse um, 5 is kind of unusual, because here he has just been called to be king uh, over uh, Israel. And where is he at? Is he out there trying to figure out how to set up his cabinet and everything? No, it says he's coming from behind the herd. He He just went back to business as usual. He really didn't um, value, evidently, that very much, and and you find oftentimes uh, in the Bible, if you don't cherish the heritage or the calling God gives you, um, you, you you end up losing it. Uh, I think it's I think it's uh, noteworthy we remember that uh, Esau um, uh, didn't have any value of being uh, of the birthright that was to be given, and so we remember jo- Jacob took it. Remember he traded it for a mess of pottage. And then through some trickery that Joseph uh, or Jacob did, he he uh, fooled his father into giving him the blessing. And what it is is a prayer pro- proclamation from the father upon the son, and basically turns everything over to that person. Now again, um, God listens to what people say, and so it's no—I I think it's no uh, mistake here that here you find uh, he's out uh, still uh, just doing business as usual. But when he heard that uh, they were wanting to put out the right eye of fellow Israelites, God came upon him and he got angry. And so he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territories of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it will be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out with one consent. Now, this is what you call an illustrated sermon. He takes an ox, chops it up, and then he takes a piece of it. He said, no, you take this, and you take this, and you take this, and you just go through. Everybody that doesn't come out to war with us and help us, this is what he's going to do to your oxen. <laughs> well, it says fear fell upon them, no doubt. And when he numbered them in Berzik, the children of Israel were 300,000 men and Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. They were glad because they weren't going to lose the right eye. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do do to us whatever seems good to you. So they they told the Ammonites, they said, Okay, um, we're just going to come out to you tomorrow, about noon, and you can do whatever you want to with us. But actually that wasn't true. It was to keep them off guard because uh, they didn't know that there was 330,000 strong army that was going to come and defend them. And so was the next day that Saul put the people up in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and kill Ammonites until the heat of the day. What are you doing today? I don't know. Let's just go whack Ammonites until the heat of the day, you know, that kind of thing. They just kind of, just, you know, until the heat, until it got so hot, you know, it's too hot to go out and kill these guys. Let's wait till the sun goes down. Okay. Um, but anyway, it says, uh, till the heat of the day came and Actually it is. And, and, and in fact, uh, oftentimes in the Bible, it'll say, uh, you know, it will talk about the time in which they went out to war, uh, and, and uh. You know, what time is it? It's time to go to war, you know. The reason why is because they wouldn't generally fight when it was too terribly hot. I mean over there you, you might see 110, 115 degree temperatures in the middle of the afternoon. Uh and and uh, if 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 the weather didn't kill you, you wouldn't have to worry too much about the the enemy killing you. Also they didn't go out to war in the winter either. So they would generally do their warring in the spring or in the fall of the year. And it's it's interesting. It talks about the time times that kings go out to war and that's what it's talking about if you ever come across that in your studies. And so it says uh, until the until it became hot and they they stopped. Notice it says, until the heat of the day, and it happened as those who survived were scattered so that there were not two of them left together. And then the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, Saul shall not reign over us? Uh, bring them to me, uh, bring, bring them in that we may put them to death. Uh, again, we remember back in uh, the... Um, Last chapter, chapter 10, verse 27. But some of the rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him. Well, now they have a, a, you might say a military hero now. He was basically their Douglas MacArthur or their Ike Eisenhower kind of guy. They had somebody now that, that defended Israel, was successful in, in whacking the Ammonites against such a, such a, a gruesome thing that they wanted to do to the nation of Israel. I mean, uh, no doubt the people of Israel, when they heard what was going on, they, 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 they probably just shuddered and they said, oh man, having your eye put out, oh that's gotta hurt. I mean, and it just, and so here now they were delivered. So they said, who is it that came against Saul and said, we won't make him king? Let's put him to death.
0: If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of It's Time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the river, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.